Hi everyone, you're through to Sandra True from Get Real Parental Coaching. So today we've got George Brooks and he's a dad and he's going to be talking about his journey as a dad to his son and what sort of challenges he's facing and so forth. So I'm just going to bring George on. So George, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Good. So if you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about what sort of challenges that's going on in your household at the moment. All right. Well, uh, me and myself. I'm bipolar. Uh, mental health advocate and I'm raising a bipolar 17 year old son who turns 18 this month and due to a lot of issues such as custodial interference and a um, maternity unit that was less than supportive you know I have permanent you know custody of him uh, sole custody of him and in that trying to get care for him has been a barrier several issues such as bias toward you know against against fathers has been a major barrier in trying to secure care for him Uh, lack of resources for black males has been an issue uh, lack of understanding of mental illness and the stigma in the black community has been a barrier. So there have been many barriers in trying to parent a, a child with a mental illness, let alone a child of color. Do you know what, George? You, you just literally said one paragraph and you touched on so <laughs> many different things there. I have to recapture, recapture what you just said there. So, right. So I'm going to go back and if you could just explain for the listeners what is bipolar and how it affects you, we'll start from there. Well, bipolar disorder is usually characterized by extreme mood swings. Uh, Extreme mood swings of hyperactivity usually are referred to as manic episodes. That's called the mania. Mood swings in the opposite direction, which are usually um, demonstrated by periods and bouts of depression are called, you know, depressive episodes. And there's an evening out period, which is usually helped by medication and therapy. So it's a stream, you know, highs and lows. The highs can be exhibited by hyperactivity, irrational behavior, um, lack of sleep, hypersexuality, things like that. And the depressive end can be shown by just depressive, you know, behavior such as excess sleeping, irritability, and things like that. So that's pretty much bipolar disorder in a nutshell. So, and how is that normally controlled? By medication? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And is that working? It usually takes about 10 years after your diagnosis to really find a cocktail that works because wow so many variations on the cocktail of drugs you can take it really takes about 10 years on average to find what really works for you uh luckily i found the the cocktail that works for me and with some guidance i think my son has found one that works for him so we're looking in that regard it usually takes a while wow i've never heard of it taking so long in fact to be honest i, I only know a little to be fair about bipolar anyway so I'm glad you sort of explained that part. So how has that affected your parenting? So in terms of, you know, when you're on a low, uh, you don't want to speak to anyone, you feel quite secluded, and then you still have to parent. How, how do you manage that? I just kind of um, have a good co-parent in my fiance. And so so we, we're able to kind of, you know, when I'm down, she can kind of pick up the reins and kind of fill in for me and and, and, and things like that. So I've got a good partner, a good, a good fiance. So that helps out a lot. So this really hadn't been an issue for me. And I realized I'm lucky for that. So I am grateful for her. 100%. 100%. I mean, thinking how you'd manage without her, right? as some people in a in a single parent situation right? sort of thing. So you're blessed. You're very, very blessed, I would say. So in terms of your son now, what age was he diagnosed? Seven. At the age of seven. And did you sort of notice because, you're, because you yourself is bipolar? Did you, how did that all come about? 
about his sort of diagnosis? Uh, I noticed symptoms about age five, but I was in denial because me being bipolar myself, it terrified me. But my ex-wife was really the one that kind of sat me down and was kind of like, hey, you know, I, I understand this may scare you, but look, I'm seeing it. So, you know, you get some help about it. And uh, so I'm grateful for her for actually making me realize that because I'll, I'll admit I was in denial about it because I knew what that would mean for him. And it really did terrify me. And but his mother was totally resistant to him getting care, denied him care behind the back and things like that. And that's something that, that continued up really to this day. And that's been a struggle in trying to make sure that he gets adequate care. And you know what? So that was when he was about five. And I'd, so for, for other parents who's listening to the show and they may not recognize the signs or anything like that, obviously your ex-wife recognized it because she saw it through you and, and, and all the rest of it. But how would you sort of tell the difference between just a hyperactive five-year-old and then obviously um, they have quiet moments anyway, don't they? Each each person has really jumping around and they have quiet moments. So how would you really identify the difference apart from the fact that you probably would have seen it more because you recognise the signs yourself? But for someone who isn't around someone with bipolar, how would they recognise that more so? Well, I would say anytime you get a moment or you get a feeling that makes you a little uneasy, you may want to get it checked out. But me being a mental health advocate, you know, I do have a nonprofit called Meta Association, and I'm an advocate of getting a mental health checkup once a year and treating mental health. Uh, like a lot of times when we say mental health, we we forget about the word health. Yes. In it, and I think we should do mental health checkups once a year just to go and talk to someone, even if it's just to say how our day went, just to make sure that you know maybe we aren't missing something, or if we do feel uh, something is amiss, you know, make sure we that we are proactive and we get it addressed. And we we have to do that as parents for ourselves and for our children because. We're seeing now, especially in, in a post-pandemic world, that, that the mental health issue is a real one. And we need to start addressing it because it's, it's, it's costing lives. We're seeing lives lost every day. And mm-hmm. I can bet that the predominant issue, that the dominant issue is mental illness on some level. So we need to start dealing with this issue and, and start to see some progress on it. Do you know what, George? I'm loving the fact that when you sort of was talking about if the parents feel like something's not quite right. I love that because I'm quite an advocate of your gut talks to you listen to your gut you know if your gut is telling you something nine times out of ten it's right it's almost like another person isn't it saying look out for this look out for that but you know and and you do want to not take it all on board because you don't want to take in the realism of of what it could be so you sort of just push it aside and just push the gut that's talking to you down right you know so i'm glad you you brought that up because i'm always saying go with your gut feeling always go with your gut feeling if your child is not reaching certain milestones or is a bit OTT in certain areas or or quite down in certain areas or the way they're eating is different just look out for all those things and you know what it's not going to take that long to go and get it checked out just for confirmation from someone uh, professional to say okay we'll refer you or try these things first you know and see and the thing is a lot of that is fear and it's okay to be afraid it's okay to be nervous there are other parents going through the same thing you can network with them there may be an issue there may not be 
be. But if there is an issue, at least you're getting it addressed early enough to where it can be possibly be corrected. Yeah, 100%. Because, you know, I love early intervention. Right. If you see something, get in there, get in there quick, because that will affect that person later on down the line. And it, it didn't need to. They didn't need to go through all of that. So what about school then? So he was five years old and was it was he going to kindergarten or anything like that at that time? Yeah. And did anyone bring anything to your attention? Not at school because it was more of an emotional, uh, it's, it's more of a behavioral disorder, not a developmental one at all. Uh, so he always, when he applied himself, he always made straight A's. Uh, as long as he applied himself, that was never an issue for him. Um, but as he got older in school, kind of he became a little defiant because like I said, a lot of custodial interference, the things that the right things I was teaching him was being uh, kind of, uh, uh, you, you know, rallied against by other people in the family. And that caused a lot of discontent between he and I. But now he recognizes that for what it was. And he's dealing with me now. But as far as school goes, that was never an issue till he started cutting school and he got about 15. And that's when I kind of that defiant struck streak snuck in and you know I had to deal with that on top of everything else but he'll be 18 this month and I'm trying to wean him out of that you know because now he'll be an adult and certain repercussions now change for him depending on his behavior so I have to keep that in mind too not just because he has a mental illness because he's a black man and that's just the reality of it yeah yeah I hear that so when he's going through his emotions in terms of his mental health how how is he displaying his behaviors and and how are you managing managing that for him or how is he managing managing himself really i speak in, in terms of how he's speaking today not not in terms of how he spoke in the past today he seems a lot more measured uh he seems to be taking things that would normally um act as triggers for him and he's taking the time to think about them and thinking about how they affect him now and he seems to be a lot more consequence minded um, he, he seems to realize now that there are consequences for his action based on how his prior decisions have affected him and that's one thing that took me a long time to instill in him was that there are consequences for your actions so you need to take the time to think things through and he seems to be doing that which is encouraging and so what I'm doing right now is trying to give him different lessons on life to study giving him different lectures to listen to things to try to stimulate his mind and get him to help form him so his own self sense of self because uh, that that'll only serve to benefit him and do you think that's part of his maturity why he's now thinking the way he thinks or or do you think something else is at play i think it's part of his journey mm. him maturing because it's at the point where i can no longer guide him and hold his hand and now i have to let him go to, to follow his own path uh some of that journey i will be there for some of that he it will have to take him being away from me mm. and i have to go that and get ready for this stage of his life so i'm just doing everything i can as his father um to, to, to help him along that path. And how did you become sole custody then? Then Because that, I mean, you know, hands up to you when things obviously haven't worked out between you and your ex-wife. And then obviously somewhere along the line, the decision was made for you. My ex-wife is not his mother. Yeah, my ex-wife is a great mother, a great friend. So she's... Oh, okay. But uh, I got sole custody because cause his uh, his mother was deemed unfit and I fought. And is he your only son? No, I have a son with my ex-wife who's 12 years old, and I have three stepchildren with my fiance. Uh, we'll be getting married very soon. Congratulations. I claim those, her three children as mine, so I've got five in all. Love that. And I, I don't make a move without them in mind. <laughs> 
I love that. With your 12-year-old, any recognition of any signs of bipolar at all? No, not with him. No, not. He's a great kid. Uh, like I said, my ex-wife is his mother. Uh, we get along great. We had a bad divorce, but she's a great mom. You know, I believe in giving credit to women that are good mothers. Yeah. Uh, we often can easily denigrate and bring out the bad mothers, but my fiance, you know, Stephanie is a great mom. My ex-wife, Natalie, she's a great mom. So I want to, you know, make sure I, I recognize both of them as, as great mothers. Lovely. I love that. So the other thing that you were mentioning was as a black man, as a black dad, you are finding loads of barriers and more challenges than there needs to be. Right. Just because you're not recognized in society because it's very motherly dominated, very womanly dominated. So, uh, and I'm really sorry to hear that because I am a very big advocate for dads, especially good supportive dads. I'm always trying to, you know, encourage that and even talk to mothers, you know, what are you doing with the dads? Have you thought about dads? What are they, think- what are they thinking? I'm sort of steering it back to, to the dads. So tell us about those challenges. What kind of barriers have you been facing? Uh, mostly just out in society. Uh, it, it occurred mostly with my oldest son when he was coming up. And uh, strangely enough, I encountered it mostly from black women. Uh, I would go and take my son to the doctor and they would say, well, where's the mother? I'm like, I'm the father. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, I would literally tell people if the mother were here, you wouldn't ask where I was. And I'm like, ma'am, I don't have all day to argue with you. Can you please see my son so he doesn't miss his appointment? I mean, things like that constantly, constantly, constantly. You know, people ask me, well, does the mother know you have him? Why does the mother need to know I have him? He's my son. 100%. And that those were barriers when it came time to take him to the doctor. There was a barrier when it came time for me to take him to school because I was the main one doing all of that. So, you know, just attitudes, you know, when I would go to the store and, and just preconceived notions and prejudgments that would get in the way, you know, just that barrier and not even counting the administrative barriers when you have to get help. You know, you have to, unfortunately, you know, seek aid or, or, or seek some kind of program for your son or for yourself. And, you know, they don't want to help you because they're, they're biased toward the mother and against the father. That is so disgusting, really. I'm really sorry to hear that, to be fair. And you know what? Do you somehow think it's a, a generational attitude yeah. to, you know, and that's what we're trying to do now. We're trying to change the narrative for dads that it should just be sort of second nature that dad is dad he's got the children and there shouldn't be any questions about that there's no need for any questions the best way to change the narrative is for us black men to be better fathers first of all uh, we have to be accountable and be better fathers so that that mothers feel as though that they can advocate for us and help really you know overturn that stereotype and that way of thinking because if we aren't better fathers then how can a mother feel confident and I'm talking about the rat Rational mothers, the ones that, and you, we all know what I'm talking about, the ones that are really in the acting in the best interest of the father and the child. Now, the other ones, we can't do anything about them, but the ones that really want to work and be good co-parents, we have to be better fathers first. So that means we have to be accountable. We have to do the things that we know we should do and to the best of our ability. That doesn't mean giving you all of our paycheck. That doesn't mean being with you, even though it's not right. That just means being the best, the best, if we can be the best friend of you, we can be. Try that. I love that. Absolutely love that. And 
do you know what? As what I'm finding also is, and you can tell me, you know, how you feel about that, George, is that a lot of men are starting to wear their heart on their sleeves and they're starting to be a lot more emotional, be a lot more outspoken. Um, and, and I think that as well is what women are seeing. A lot of men are starting to be like that. So therefore they're feeling more comfortable around the men like, like that. So are you, would you say you're, um, one of those people in terms of emotionally expressive to those that believe in this i'm a left-handed pisces so i was like that in a way i was like that before it was in style so i didn't nothing i can say about that but i think in a way that's a good thing that men are feeling more comfortable emoting and but we have to understand that it looks different from every guy so you know some guys may cry some gays some guys may not and uh, if that's what they looks like we got to respect that for each person but uh, i think that's a good thing and i think it's good and it says a lot for women that men are feeling comfortable enough around you where they can can't express that emotion because it's not easy. So if you got a man to feel comfortable around you enough to cry around you, then that's a good thing. That means he feels secure with you. And that means y'all might, you know, really have something there. You know, a lot of us guys have tried that holding the stuff in and internalizing things for generations. And we see what it's gotten us. It's keeping us broke. It's keeping us in mess up relationships. It's keeping our communities broke. And maybe it's time to try something different. You know, try something that may bring us a little, little more peace in our homes, a little bit more security for our children and maybe in different ways that we can need to talk about on the real uh, some things that may bring some more money to our pockets and to our communities. And it's time for us to really start thinking about our mental health. Yeah, 100%. In the times now, isn't it, where we do need to consider our mental health because what I always say is that you've got to look after yourself first right. before you're able to look after somebody else. It all starts here. It all starts within, you know. And in terms of that, what support are you getting as a father now or in the past I know we talked about a lot of barriers and a lot of bias and stereotypes going around but did you manage to get any support uh my fiance is excellent support when it comes to my 12 year old my ex-wife is great support uh I'm blessed to have a good support system of friends around me that are great support uh, of course my relationship with God my own personal individual relationship with God is great support and the fact that you know all five of my kids try their best and that's really as a parent all we wanted for our kids to do is try their best because we have faith in them. We just tell them, try our best and we'll do everything we can to support them. So as long as the five of them are trying their best and whatever it is they endeavor to do, I'm happy. I love that. I absolutely love that. I had a podcast with Camise Davis and one thing she said that really stuck out to me is we are not raising our children. We are rearing them right. to be the best versions of themselves. And that sentence was just blew my mind because I couldn't have put it better myself, really. Yeah. Exactly. So just sort of um, finalising then, would you say that your relationship with your eldest son, who you've got custody for, it could have been a better relationship had you'd had more external support? both of you? Um, not even so much external support, just less external interference. Ah. Firstly, I should have taken custody of him when he was first born from the get-go. I, sh I should have fought for sole custody then. Uh, I think things would have been radically different for him. Okay, but you did it in the end, and there's so much times that we could say we coulda, shoulda, woulda. I did it in the, in the end. Yeah. And I think he's going to be okay, so that's that's all that matters. I can't worry about regret. I can't worry about what, you know, I, can, I can't go back 
back and change it. Love that. Love that. So, George, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And wish you all the best. You sound like you're doing a fabulous job mm-hmm. with your son, with your stepchildren. And I'm glad you've got a lovely, beautiful fiance that's supporting you 100%. Not just supporting you, but supporting the family. Right. Yeah, because you're all, you're all a family at the end of the day. So you are well and truly blessed there. So thank you very much for sharing your story. And I hope the listeners can sort of take a few things away there, you know, just learning more about bipolar, the signs, the symptoms, and what they should do from early. We talked about early intervention, 100% key there. So, so thank you very much. And I shall hope to probably have you on again in another six months time to see any developments. Maybe you're getting married there. When are you getting married? Uh, Not quite sure. I'll let you know. Okay, cool. I'll take that. No problem. <laughs> okay, you take care, George, and I'll speak to you soon. You, you too. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you. Bye.